Well, good evening. Welcome to Mosaic, and welcome to you online as well. Uh, let's stand together and uh, sing of the faithfulness of our God. Mosaic, you can have a seat and welcome to our friends who are joining us online tonight. 
In his first season with the Green Bay Packers, things began to unravel for Vince Lombardi. And he called the Packers to the sideline in one game, and he just held up a football and said, Gentlemen, this is a football. And the idea was to get their eyes back on the game, to get their eyes back on the ball, literally just to, hey, we know the fundamentals of the game, and we're going to stick to it. One of the things I love about Mosaic and being here at Fellowship is the compelling mission and vision that God's given us over the last few decades to produce and release spiritual leaders like you and me who know and express the authentic Christ to Northwest Arkansas and the world. For what purpose? The vision. Life change. To see the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world changed by the empowering presence of Christ and the reality of the gospel at play in the lives of people. That's our ball. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we get to play. Good job, Mosaic, on the fundamentals. For years, this congregation has produced and released like crazy at, at all levels, and particularly sometimes what you would consider some of your A-team players. Thank you for releasing me a few years ago to uh, be a part of the training center here at Fellowship. And uh, for the last few years, I can't believe the, the ride that I get to be involved in and the men and women over at the training center as we work with leaders across the nation and around the world. Good job for releasing Jim Hall and Sean Schwartzman. Some of you old school guys remember that? What is now Potter's House and New Heights Church. Good job for releasing Shotsman over to Bentonville. Hey, by the way, were you here last week? That's the best geezer talk I think Shotsman's ever given. It was, it was great. And, uh, but to see what's going on with Doug and, I mean, uh, Dick and Connie Nervig in that life change story. So you, you guys, you're just great at producing and releasing. And now we're in a season of producing and releasing again with Matt headed down to Samaritan Fellowship in Springdale and Scott headed over to Samaritan Fellowship here in North Rogers. And uh, we're excited about that. In a few weeks, we're going to have a commissioning service for those guys but what does that mean for Mosaic? What does that mean for us right now? Well, I tell you what, it's a God thing that we would try to reset three congregations in the middle of a pandemic. It was not on the planning book. It was not part of the plan a year ago. But God has chosen to do it right now, and we're excited to be a part of that. And so as we transition with Matt and Scott headed to Samaritan Fellowship congregations, it looks like this. We've got a transition team we're putting together here that involves Ryan Chola. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. Give it up for Chola. Uh, Nick Rowland, one of my favorite Bible teachers at Fellowship. Will Blanchard, who's also a part of the transition team. And Colin Jackson and myself. So, hey, this is a football. <laughs> we're about producing and releasing leaders here at Mosaic. Always have been always will be, and we'll keep playing ball, okay? So who wants to take home the Mosaic team ball tonight? Oh, I see you back on the back row. Okay, let's see. Ah, there it is. Who, who is that going with the ball? <laughs> Make sure she gets the ball. Back row, yeah. Who is that? Wait, no, back there. Yes. Who wants that ball? Yeah, back row, raise your hand, I saw you. There she is, yeah.
Is there a chiropractor in the house? Hey, we're also taking communion tonight. It's gonna be a great worship experience. And so hopefully you picked up the elements as you came in. Online, if you would, this would be a good time. If you'd like to participate with us and uh, later in the service, go ahead and find the elements there in your home. If you have them, bread and juice of any kind will work. Boy, don't we need Jesus right now? With all the stuff going on around us sometimes, just to get centered and get focused and let all this clutter and the scatter kind of just drift away and get fixed and centered on him. That's why we're here tonight. Would you join me in prayer? We're here as a result of your invitation, Lord. We don't, we don't have to ask you to come. We're the ones who have come. This is all about you, your purposes, your glory, and your work in our lives. We are so arrested and captivated by your love, your kindness, your tenderness, and your mercy. And we come tonight with a corporate confession. We need you. And our prayer is that our worship and our yieldedness before you would be a pleasant offering in your sight. Thank you for showing yourself most where needed in our lives tonight. In your name we pray, amen.
Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that in a year of confusion and fear and loss and so many different kinds of loss, Lord, uh, that you are constant, that you have not changed, that you are the same every morning when we wake and the same when we put our head down at night. We thank you for your hope that never leaves us. Everything in this world will fade, but Jesus, you, you are constant. And so we sing these these next songs for you, Jesus, and we thank you. It's your name we pray. What gift of grace is Jesus
unify us as brothers and sisters under the banner of love you have created us under would you unify us would together we stand shoulder to shoulder and look at you and then watch divisions fall thank you for the power of your word for the power of your love and the power of you've given to these people by your spirit and in your name. Amen. You may be seated.
Amen. Hello, friends and family of Mosaic. It's good to have you here, and it's good to be walking into church with just a little bit of a, a vibe of spring, isn't it? Are you loving it so much? I am too. All the spring things are happening. Like yesterday was Chip's birthday, right? We didn't even like sing the last line of it. Can we just give you one line, just like four words? Happy birthday to you. That's it. That's all you get. Chip's birthday, spring's coming. Do the whole thing with your clocks, like set forward, move back, whatever it is. Just pick one. It doesn't really matter. Wednesday's St. Patrick's Day, right? One of the coolest holidays. It celebrates the St. Patrick who was a slave. Then he went back to that land as a missionary to bring the gospel. And we celebrate it with a green beer and pinching each other. It just doesn't make sense to me still. But it is, all the spring things are happening. And if you're new here, we've been, we've been going through this kind of winter into spring, looking at the book of Joshua. This would be the time. This would be the time to take out your Bible. Take out your Bible. Turn with me to Joshua 22. The name of tonight's message is Stopping a Battle Before It Begins. Stopping a Battle Before It Begins. One of the weirdest stories. One of those ones you just... Rack your brain for it. You're not going to remember the Veggie Tales because it just, it just isn't there. I guarantee, I, I would be a betting man that not one of your highlighters hit chapter 22. But as we go through it, here's what I wonder. I imagine that, that you're sitting there. I wonder if there's anyone here that uh, you've ever done something that's been misinterpreted. In any relationship, that you've just, good intentions, you've, you've tried and before you know it, you find yourself escalated saying, how did we get here? How did we get to this point? Have you ever been there before? I have a good friend, George, who uh, he speaks on communication and conflict all the time. And he tells this story that, that every time he tells it, just kind of feels like it's your story. And he always does it with this, with this conflict cycle, this infinity cycle. And it, he calls it his his milk story. You see, he walked in the door and he simply said this. I'm sorry, his wife said this. Did you remember to pick up the milk? Whoop, and something happens. Something happens in him. Something happens in us. And we go like, well, no. Did you remember to pick up the milk? Whoop. And his wife says, well, well, I asked you, don't, don't tell me you forgot, dot, 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 again. Whoop. Well, I'm sorry I had a crazy day providing for my family. It wasn't quite on my mind. Whoop. Crazy. <laughs> Let me tell you about crazy day. Women, how is it that at that moment you cue the stage effects and from somewhere flower just goes poof? Let me tell you about a crazy day. At least I didn't forget. Whoop. Oh. oh, so now you're saying I don't care about my family. Whoop. I didn't say that. Whoop. Well, what are you saying? Whoop. I'm saying you never listen to me. 
Whoop. Well, maybe if you could take a breath from talking, I could actually hear you. Whoop. Oh. <laughs> so now you're saying I'm a nag. Whoop. Well, that's what my mother keeps calling you. It just gets worse and worse. Important to remember, this is one my story. This is George's story. George's story. But boy, we've, I bet many of you have been there. I bet many of you have been there. And I bet you've been in my shoes saying, man, I wish, I wish there was something in Scripture to lead me, to give me a hint, to give me a doorway out. And, and I think that's what Joshua 22 is going to do for us tonight. So let me just tell you the story in a nutshell. It's a long chapter. Let me summarize and then I'll, I'll read a few verses. There's two and a half tribes out of the 12, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. As they're coming out of wandering way back in chapters three and four, as they're coming into the promised land of Canaan, they look to Joshua and they say, hey, this land east of the Jordan is pretty nice. Once we do all the conquering and get everything done, what do you think about us kind of Moving back and taking it over. Joshua likes the idea. So years later, after they have done a majority of the conquering, Joshua in verses three and through five, he, heads, he sends them back, sends them back with a blessing, with wealth, and with a charge, a spiritual blessing, a charge for their future. Which leads us up to verse 10 through 12. Let's read that. 22, verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan. Translation, on our side. On the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gather at Shiloh to make war against them. Now, not only have these 12 tribes been wandering for 40 years, not only have they been fighting as brothers throughout Canaan side by side for decades, now at the point of conflict, at the point of ultimate escalation, it says that the whole assembly, we're not given a number, although back at the second battle of, of I, when it talks, kind of uses the same similar language, it's an army of 30,000 people. 30,000 people that are gonna march upon these two and a half tribes. It kind of reminded me of, you remember that old Braveheart scene where, where the English, they're coming over the hill and just a, my voice goes Scottish whenever I talk about Braveheart. And you just see the, the sea of metal helmets. And all the Scottish army can say is, there are so many. That's what it was like. The two and a half tribes after they built their, their altar of imposing size going, oh no, what did we do? You ever wonder why stories like this are in scripture? I mean, why not just remember it as a close call 
They don't go to battle, by the way. Spoiler alert. Why not just remember it as a close call and move past it? Is it really that big of a deal? Unless in beginning a new life, in a new land, as a new people, there is something about dealing with conflict well that is important to learn and to consider and to emulate. So as we jump into this cultural context now, I I don't think any of us have ever suited up for a civil war. But I know that each of us, in a variety of forms of relationships, have felt the tension in our belly that comes with conflict, haven't you? The tension of that cycle of pursuing and withdrawing and escalating and isolating. It's so familiar that it's worn grooves into your soul. So maybe, maybe this story is not just to them. Maybe it is also for us. Maybe we will be encouraged by their intentionality, inspired by their model of repair, and maybe by God's grace, we'd be able to stop some battles before they even begin. You with me? All right, let's get curious together. Let's look at the first one. If you're taking notes, which I hope you are, write down point one. Instead of war, send peace. Verse 13 and 14. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him 10 chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel. Every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. Now, we have a tendency. When conflict arises, rarely do we send peace directly to the source. No, so often instead what we do is we start to rally our allies. Even in the name of good Christian accountability. We just start talking it up. We just start pulling that person down to lift ourselves up. Even though Jesus in Matthew 18 says, this isn't the way we should handle conflict. We should go directly to the source. If that doesn't work, take a friend, go do it with them. If that doesn't work, take them to the elders of the church. We still, we rally allies because if we're honest, I think we're preparing for war. We're preparing for the worst. And what Israel does, though, even though they could have, they had a sea of helmets behind them, 30,000 ready to attack. They send the priest. They send Phineas to go and talk to them first. Now, before you think that sending peace is just coming with a bouquet of flowers, which sometimes that is an added addition that is necessary. Before you think that they're just sending this little weakling little priest named Phineas, let's not forget Phineas's reputation. He was the one that not long ago, when Israel was caught in major sin, he was the one who walked in the tent and two were in the act of debauchery and he skewered them with a spear. That's Phineas. And it stopped the plague on Israel in that moment. 
So he's not coming into this situation just to say, calm down, just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Instead of war, what they could have done, they send peace by means of direct restoration. It is a call to root out the lies, to root out the sin, and to get at the heart of the matter. You know, as we've been experiencing Lent, and we're continuing for the next few weeks prior to Easter, looking forward and anticipating to celebrate Easter, uh, I've been reading this book that has just been blessing my soul. I snap a picture of it, uh, do whatever you need to do, 40 Days of Decrease. And in it, every single day, it leads you to fast a subtle sin tendency. It's not fasting social media or chocolate or Whoppers or whatever it is you typically fast, although those things are fine to fast as well. But a, but, but a subtle sin tendency. So I took a little page out of this book as we talk some of these points. Because I think in this process, there is things too that we need to consider fasting from. And in this first one, instead of war, send peace. I think we need to fast assumptions. We need to fast assumptions. Stop assuming that everyone is against you. Stop assuming that you need to come out swinging. Stop assume, assuming that it'll never get better. And rather, be the initiators of peace. Number one, instead of war, send peace. Number two, write it down, connection over correction. Verse 16 through 19. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourself an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord your God. Here's what I'm drawn to. He leads with questions. He leads with a posture of curiosity. Now, yes, he has an army of 30,000 people behind him, which helps. But there's a language in the counseling world of curiosity over judgment. He comes in, Phineas comes in seeking understanding first rather than just being understood. It's so easy to enter into a conflict on the defense. And let me just encourage you, stay curious. Stay curious to what is really going on in the heart and the soul of the matter. I also think it's something that is really prevalent in today's current culture. You see for the people of Israel how important doctrinal purity is. Enough that they are willing to go to civil war 
and wipe out a quarter of their people over. And yet, and I think this is really modeled intentionally, it is doctrinal purity in light of preserving fellowship. These are not two separate ditches. This is not an either-or situation. This is both and. And it culminates in this fantastic, beautiful posture uh, that it says in verse 19. Hey, if this is not good, if you guys going over to that side is not good, then come back over and actually take some of our inheritance. Take some of the land that God has given us so that we can restore this relationship and the two can be one once again. You see, our fast here is winning. This is not a fight to be won. Why? As, as you picture the person right now that the Lord is putting on your heart that, that restoration is needed. Why? It's because they are not your enemy. Say this with me. They are not my enemy. Go. And success is not winning. Success is connection with them against the enemy. Success is connection with them against the enemy. Number three, and I want to pre-tell you, this is so cheesy, I almost took it out and then just felt like for high cheese factor, maybe, just maybe, it'll be memorable. You'll stumble till you're humble. I'm sorry. Or you're welcome, I don't know. 22, verse 22, the mighty one, God, the Lord. And then he repeats it. The mighty one, God, the Lord. This is the two and a half tribes talking. He knows and let Israel itself know if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, then do not spare us today. When Phineas and 3,000 standing behind him say, hey, if this isn't working out, come back and take our inheritance. Those two and a half tribes could have said a lot of things. They could have got together and said, hey, we could, we could get a two for one deal. We could really score on some good land. This isn't a bad idea. They could have attacked. They could have been defensive. But I think they heard this cheesy line, you'll stumble till you're humble. And instead what they say is, hey, if we were wrong, we should not be spared. In light of a God who is both just and love, we should not be spared if we were acting in sin. You know, within the church, we talk about the gospel often. We use it with catchy phrases like God saves sinners through Jesus. We build charts that explain it and make it really simple to reproduce. We even put it on social media posts with pretty backgrounds. Uh, but the single most evidence of the reality, the proof of the gospel being effective on the heart of a soul in conflict is humility. Is a person able to be humble even when their back is against the ropes? It is a willingness to admit, I see you and I was wrong. And I think a key ingredient to humility is a divine sense of self-awareness. 
Very rarely can we just muster up humility in the moment. You see, first you have to have the ability to look inwards first. You have to look, friends, at your own story. You have to know and be able to recognize your own triggers so that you can be humble. You also have to be able to consider, how are other people experiencing me? Have you ever had one of those arguments where you feel like you're just being kind and sweet and just, the, just nice, and that is not how it's coming out? It's the humility to ask why. In humility, we fast appearances. The need to appear more than what you really are. Not just to win, but to propagate the need that I'm validated, I'm respected, I am significant, and I will fight for that. I fast that. And then our final points, and this one is a culmination of, of peace, of connection, of humility. It's the idea, the overarching theme of repair. Closing out the story, verse 26 and 27. Therefore we said, this is the two and a half tribes speaking, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Now what's going on here? If you can like recall a few weeks ago, we spoke from chapter four. They crossed the water and they built memorial. Remember we did the message on the memorial stones. And it was the mission vision moment for Israel and it was three things that you would tell your children Tell the next generation the wonderful deeds of the Lord. Number two is that all would know. And number three is that you would fear. Discipleship, mission, devotion. Those things translate to today. And what they're doing here is they're saying our intent all along was to fulfill mission and vision. Our intent was that our children would hear discipleship. Mission, devotion, and that they would have a reminder, a connect point to the people of Israel that this story would not be forgotten. And as they humbly share their intent of their heart, Israel sees them. They see the innocence of their heart and they are forgiven. In all my really good conversations and reading about repair, uh, there was a few quotes that really just stood out to me that I want to share with you. The first one is from the well-respected therapist and theologian Christine Rabino. She says this, The primary thing that the church today still lacks is a language of repair. The next one from John Gottman, The difference between the masters and disasters of relationship. I'll say it again in case you like to write stuff down. The difference between the masters and disasters of relationships is the ability to repair effectively. And then this one from our very own Debbie Pridemore. In repair, we exit hiding from our failures and pain 
and move into a new positive cycle of vulnerability met by love. And this one's been sticking with me. This is fascinating because you remember we started with a first cycle, one that we are each very familiar with. What she says in a posture of repair, that a new cycle is able to be formed that we are able to actually create a new neurological pathway, a new groove for your soul of vulnerability met by love. And friends, vulnerability met by love is the most beautiful thing that the church can offer humanity. A watching world sees vulnerability in love and knows it is otherworldly. Our fast and repair is a fast from isolation. Rather than in fear running from conflict, rather than in fear just gathering allies for a battle, we fast isolation and we move towards the greater reward of true connection. We mimic the movement of the gospel through practical restoration. Something really kind of cool happened this week to me. Um, I was having lunch with a, with a student that 10 plus years ago was in my junior high student ministry. It was weird. Now he's a man. Uh, and we're just talking and eating and hanging out. And I said, Hunter, what are you into these days? And he said, Matt, I've been doing the Japanese art of kintsugi. I was like, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. He says, well, it's this thing where you, they intentionally break pots melt gold, and put it back together. And just to be transparent, my first inner dialogue was, that's a little nerdy. But I didn't let that out of my mouth. I was thankful. And then he pulled out his phone, and he pulled out this picture. And he showed it to me, and these were the words that came out of his mouth. He says, you see, the beauty is in the brokenness. The beauty is that the gold actually makes the pot stronger. And your eyes are actually drawn, they're attracted to what once was broken, but now is repaired. My soul went to Joshua 22. But then it went past that and went straight to the gospel. Tonight, we're going to finish our time with communion. If there was a picture that might summarize communion for us tonight, is that we are broken pots with major cracks, trying with every effort that we can to put it back together ourselves. And friends, it's the master work of a master craftsman through his work on the cross that we will celebrate now until Easter and beyond, when he gave his body and when he gave his blood, that we would be restored to him, that we would be reconnected to him, that we would be repaired in a relationship once broken by sin, now restored by the power of the gospel, by the power of the cross, we're repaired to Jesus, and because of that, 
we can then humbly reconnect and repair with others around us. So we're going to take the bread. We're going to take the cup. In remembrance of Jesus. And I want you to just sit for a moment in that space. In the space of gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. And the truth of what he has saved you from. And the privilege of what he has saved you to. Lord Jesus, Son of God. Thank you. Thank you for coming, for living, for dying, for resurrecting, for knowing us to the fullness of who we are, from our broken, nasty pieces to to how you have repaired us and given us a hope to walk in the new freedom of life, of, of restoration and repair. It is because of the gospel that God saves us through you, Jesus that we can have hope in you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we land the plane, uh, there's a few questions I want to consider with you. And whether this just is between you and your journal and the Lord, or it's your drive home conversation, or you snap a picture of it right now and bring this in a posture of vulnerability met by love in your disciple-making communities, I'd be really interested what the story is and who the person is that came to mind as we talked about repair. Who did God, through the power of his spirit, impress upon you? And second, again, whether you're writing this prayer down in your journal or with your spouse or roommate or friend or or, or in your disciple-making community, would you pray together for God's guidance on what is the next practical step connection, of initiating sending out peace rather than war. Friends, it's a real joy to be with you tonight. Uh, Tomorrow is the day of rest. So as we leave here, just prepare your hearts to take a deep breath in what Jesus has done on your behalf. We're so grateful. If you would like to be connected, uh, we can do that through so many ways. All of them are on their screen. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to guide you to disciple-making communities. We'd love to encourage you to live as sent in the communities that you live, work, and play. But we love you. We're grateful for you. Have a wonderful Sabbath tomorrow. Good night.